Hey there, you're listening to Ghost Notes, the podcast where we look at music from the inside and out. My name is Noah, you probably know me better as Polyphonic. And I'm Corey, and you probably know me as 12-Tone, and today we're going to be talking about comedy music. So do you want to get us started on this? Yeah, yeah, well I think, like in classic Ghost Notes fashion, I think we're going to need to start with some definitions. Oh God, what is comedy? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's it's interesting because I think this is a conversation in and of itself where it yeah. seems like there's kind of this dichotomy in music between like musicians that are sometimes funny, someone like, you know, Kanye West or Bob Dylan or something like yeah. that, and comedy musicians, someone like, you know, Tim Minchin, Bo Burnham, Weird Al, things like that. There's there's a dichotomy there that I don't think is necessarily quite as as black and white as it would seem, but I do think no. I do think there's definitely a a balance of people that I guess you would call them either comedians first or musicians first. Yeah, and that boundary is obviously so easy to complicate when you look at bands like They Might Be Giants mm-hmm. or like The Bare Naked Ladies. Frank Zappa. Like there's so many. Frank Zappa, yeah, absolutely. And there's just, there's a lot of, again, like you say, you, when we talk about comedy music, we think like Weird Al. Yeah. We think like The Lonely Island or people who are just doing jokes to music, which I, that again is something that I would like to complicate a little later on. But <laughs> I agree that there's this tendency to try to sort people into one or the other when a lot of the times, again, if you look at a They Might Be Giant song, it might be really funny or it might just be weird, right? It might not be really making that much of a joke. It might just be about a topic that music isn't particularly regularly about. And then because they're also doing jokes in other songs, we might think, oh, that's that's a joke song. But it may just be someone doing something different. And so- I I was going to say, even like on on that, like I thought you had a great example with the Bare Naked Ladies where something like One Week- is a song that's yeah. like kind of funny, but it's not like a like comedy song, you know? Like it's not really telling jokes. It's kind of just like yeah, l- like the lyricism has this kind of surrealist humor aspect to it. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of bare naked lady songs as well are very serious. Mm-hmm. Like you think of them as a comedy band, but like things like we're on drugs. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that song or uh, Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson, yeah. Although Brian Wilson, I think, is sort of in in a dark space, but playing around in a funny way. Yeah. You know? Like, they're sort of gloss, like, glossing over a lot of that. But, like, I think if you listen to, again, War on Drugs, there are, like, good, there's good lyricism in there. They're, they're just good lyricists. But there are no jokes. It's not funny. It's a pretty devastating song. Yeah. Whereas then if you listen to, like, If I Had a Million Dollars... That's just yeah. like a straight up comedy song. That's just, yeah, that that is just a bit for them to riff on. And they do, like when they yeah. do that song live, they will just like, or did, but when they did that song live, they would just, you know, improvise additional things and play around with it and have fun because it was a joke. I think part of the reason this dichotomy comes is that I think that there's there's an aspect of people don't take comedy music seriously, you know, yeah. like as music. And that's where the dichotomy has to happen where it's like, well, you know, Frank Zappa might do a song that's called Don't Eat the Yellow Snow, but Frank Zappa is this virtuoso guitarist and this brilliant visionary. So he's not a comedian. He's he's a musician who happens to do these surreal yeah. comedy Who's bits. not but, afraid to use comedy. Yeah. I, I think that that's a big part of it is you, when you have these like serious, like important figures, that's a large part of the sort of apologia of it where you want to sort of be like, okay, well, Dylan's not telling jokes, right? 
Dylan's making a statement and he's not yeah. afraid to use comedy to do it. Whereas you look at someone, again, like they might be giants and you're just like, okay, they're telling jokes. And again, this comes back to, and I don't know that this is necessarily a thing that you and I need to fully unpack here, but just the concept of like just a joke as a yeah. thing. Yeah, Where you, you see this a lot where you try to downplay the impact of a statement because it's just a joke and jokes, like comedy is a very powerful medium for making statements. It always has been. It's like you go back to like, I mean, an obvious example is like Lenny Bruce, right? You go back, that's yeah. like deeply transgressive stuff. And so like that that whole era, you have a lot of those comedians. I'm blanking on other names because that's well, not really my area of expertise, but you know. I think an example that I wanted to bring up, someone that I was actually listening to earlier today, that is a great example of the power in comedy. But again, he's always seen yeah. as a serious musician is Phil Oaks. Phil Oaks's folk music is hilarious but it's also it's hilarious because it's cutting satire that is like 60s protest like cutting satire of the vietnam yeah. war and like anti-bussers and like things like that like love me i'm a liberal is a really funny song it's also one of the most scathing leftist songs i've ever heard in my life like it's it seethes with you know the kind of like political yeah. energy of rage against the machine but you also laugh out loud while listening to it i think part of what i'm trying to get at here is i think when you try to split when you try to do that split that people have, I think you end up both reducing, you know, kind of reducing comedians and reducing the value of comedy. Yeah. And then often you end up glossing over the fact that a lot of these people are also doing really interesting stuff in, in terms of their musicianship. Yeah. I mean, this is one example that I've been, had wanted to bring up is back in college in one of my songwriting classes, the teacher played and had us break down the early Lonely Island hit Jizz in My Pants. Nice. <laughs> and just walked through sort of how they built, because like you could look at how they build that joke, right? Like yeah. the first one you start, like you don't know where it's going until so they have a lot of time to build up this scene and then they drop the punchline. But then, you know, they have to get the punchline back and they have to have it be funny again. And so they have to like ramp it up. They do it a little bit shorter the next time and the situation gets a little bit more absurd and then it sort of builds and they get shorter and shorter and you get to this thing where they're just like singing the punchline over and over until it's interrupting itself. And then they transition to this whole new section with this new joke. And that's all just good songwriting. Like none of that is unique to comedy, but like looking at it through that lens and taking that sort of absurdist view on the, the structure of it lets you engage and understand what they're doing musically as well. I think that's something that like, the Lonely Island are very good songwriters. Something yeah. like I'm on a Boat, it's almost one of the first things that obviously there was kind of like parody, but like it was actually like almost really appreciating T-Pain's autotune in a time where like, yeah. I feel like I feel like nowadays there's a lot more discourse around autotune as an interesting tool. But at the time, it, that was not the discourse. It's, yeah, it was, it was very controversial. Yeah. And that's, you know... Soundfield actually just did a video about this as we're recording about autotune. Oh, cool. Sideways also has a really good one. I've been meaning to make one, and then every time I start to get serious about it, one of the other channels I follow and respect makes one, and I'm like, okay, shelving that for now. But, you know, I also haven't found the research I want for it. This is not on topic. But the point is, yeah, there was definitely, I think, you know, it was a complex discourse even then. Like, right? Like, there wasn't... If everyone hated T-Pain's auto-tuned vocals, T-Pain would not have been an international star, 
right? Like, yeah, exactly. But it was a complicated thing, and there was a whole discourse about it. And I agree that like I'm on a boat did some really interesting things with it. Like Jack Sparrow also, in terms of oh yeah, the way they used Michael Bolton. And again, you can study that as a comedic form, and you can also look at it as a song form, and it does really interesting things in both. And yeah, I, I just I think this sort of gets to a thing that I've often felt and I think mentioned other podcasts before about sort of comedy music in general is that A, there's a lot of really good, well-written stuff, but B, parody specifically, I think I don't engage as well with. Like, I don't find it all that interesting most of the time because, like, if you look at something like Weird Al, and Weird Al is amazing at what he does. Full credit to Weird Al. He's great. But, again, like, if I listen to a Weird Al song, I get the joke, but that joke isn't built into the structure of the song. And so if I want to listen to the song, I'm just going to go listen to the actual song. And once I know the joke, there's not really much else. Whereas something like I'm on a boat, like you can just enjoy that for that like T-Pain bridge. I think that's something that also like it improves the comedy when the comedy is built into the song as well. Like I agree. I know, I know a lot of people are big Weird Al fans, but I just, I'm not a huge Weird Al fan by all accounts. He seems like a great dude. Like, he seems like oh, a yeah. really fantastic person. Weird Al, if you're listening, please come on to our podcast. Yes, yes, please convince us. And honestly, the stuff of his that I find most interesting is when he does, like, polka music and stuff like that. Yeah, or when he does, like, like Albuquerque. Yeah. Albuquerque is genuinely a really fun song. And that's, you know, it's an original piece. Yeah, that's the thing is, like, you can build so much into the music of a song. Like, again, while yeah. we're talking about Lonely Island, threw it on the ground— the punchline yep. of that song is musical. Is the, the hook, yeah. Yeah, the punchline of that song is the the big kind of like, you know, like dubstep drop thing that they do, yeah. right? Like that's what's funny about that song. And yeah. I think that's something that, for my money, probably the best musical comedy act are Flight of the Concords. And I think that they, they do such a good job of building these punchlines into the music where yeah. the music and the comedy are kind of entwining with each other in just like really, really kind of like fantastic, interesting ways. And I think what they do, that's kind of, because a lot of what they do is kind of like song parodies, only it's not really like verse for verse. It's more like pastiches. Like, like Jermaine, you don't have to be a male prostitute is Roxanne (laughs) or like, like the Bowie's in space is amazing. But I think something that they, they're really able to do is play with the tropes and the general kind of like aesthetic milieu of a song and play that for comedy and kind of play against that, which I think is something that it's really brilliant. And yeah, like, it's not like it's not like you could just read the lyrics. If you just read the lyrics of these songs, I'm sure they'd be funny, but yeah, it, when taken in concert with everything, like that's that's what really sells musical comedy for me. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, I'm on a boat, if I just say the line, never thought I'd be on a boat, yeah. that's nothing. Yeah. But if you hear that in, like, T-Pain's auto-tuned R&B hook voice, it's great, it's hilarious. And that, I think, comes back to a thing that comes up in a lot of the guest episodes we've been doing. I think at least the ones with Laura, Alex, and LK, where, you know, when you're combining mediums, you get so much out of the overlap and out of using tools from one to enhance the other instead of just doing two things that are on top of each other. And so, like, if I look at Weird Al, again, great comedian, but 
there's nothing, he's not using the music to do the comedy. He's just doing comedy on top of music. Whereas Lonely Island, Flight of the Concords, They Might Be Giants Again, Tenacious D, all of these bands are writing music in ways that use the actual musical elements to enhance the comedy and the comedy to enhance the music. I think a great example of kind of the difference from this, you can see in the evolution of Bo Burnham as an artist, where I feel like a lot of Bo Burnham's earlier stuff, I mean, I love Bo Burnham and I like a lot of his stuff, but it's kind of just jokes with music behind them. But then Inside, by the time he gets to Inside, like, like that's probably, you know, the most sung album of the year you know like that's people there's genuinely great songs there and so much more of the comedy comes from the music like like i mean probably the biggest song from that like bezos what's funny about that song is like the words are funny but really what's funny is this kind of like giant synth pop anthem you know (laughs) kind of like praising jeff bezos who we've kind of collectively decided is the great Lex Luthor of our time, you know, it's, it's, it's not, um, yeah, you know, (laughs) I think so much of inside is something where it's the music that makes it really funny or even something like welcome to the internet. It's like the music in that case is something where it's like, I think the music makes it funny with this kind of like dark chaotic circus, but also the music adds this dark edge to the comedy that can be really powerful. And again, like we were saying earlier, make a statement. Yeah, I mean, that's a big thing that music is great at is sort of creating an emotional canvas and something comedy is great at is playing around with expectations based on setups. And so you do this like big synth pop thing and you have expectations about what that's going to be because you have sort of an emotional reaction to it based on all sorts of cultural context. Because one of the things that often gets in the way of comedy, in my experience, is setups, right? Like having yeah. to... Yeah. Because, you know, you, you hear these jokes, it's like, okay, that's some pretty solid wordplay, but you had to give me like a paragraph long walk to get there. And it just it just doesn't land because, you know, it, it's all so tangent. But you can sort of circumvent that. You can get around that by using music in ways that evoke these ideas that you can then play with without having to actually first sit down and be like, okay, so this is going to be about... Like this is going to be an anthem. We're going to be celebrating this dude, and then then do the thing. You just already have that based in the musical assumptions. I think someone that does that really well is Tim Minchin. I'm yes. a big fan of Tim Minchin's music, and he does like something like "Peace Anthem for Palestine" is a song where he and, and Tim Minchin kind of does this bit a lot, where he does these kind of like big grandiose piano pieces that are subverted by kind of irreverent music. Have you heard Sam's Mum? I have not. Or it's called Thank You God, I guess, is the actual title. But basically, the beginning is kind of playing off of this, like, these grandiose, you know, stories of God and gospel and religious imagery. And then when the punchline comes, I recommend everyone listen to this song if you haven't, because I think it's pretty funny. It switches to this kind of, like, you know, like, jaunty mambo thing that just completely undercuts the scope and scale <laughs> of this, you know, grand dramatic overture. And and that's something where, yeah, like you said, like the emotional yeah. canvas, music is so good at that. Yeah, it lets you just juxtapose and you can do a lot of, like that's, to come back to, you were talking about like Weird Al's polka remixes. And that's a large part of that is we have 
associations with the songs he's singing, like, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit or whatever. And we have associations with Polka. And just sort of smashing those together in ways that you're not expecting can be really interesting and can't, you know, can be really funny. Yeah. I think that's like a, an age old kind of musical comedy thing that really people do all the time. Flight of the Concords do it all the time with like genre stuff. And it, it just, subversion is so much of like the key to a lot yeah. of comedy and it just provides such a kind of like visceral gut reaction. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the whole, there's even, and maybe this will get us into a whole other genre of, you know, like internet music comedy, which there's a lot sure. to talk about there, but like something that people do kind of as like, you know, like kind of like a comedy bit is covering, you know, I kissed a girl as a death metal song or something like that. Right. Yeah. Like, like that is fundamentally a comedy song. Yeah, no, it's doing that as a joke. And this is something we talked about in our cover songs episode. Almost said video there. It's not a video. It's a podcast. <laughs> but I think, yeah, you, you have these things where, like, those often don't work for me. Yeah. Just because, you know, I think, again, this comes down to depth, right? Like, if you look at, again, I'm just going to use Jack Sparrow because Jack Sparrow is just a phenomenal piece of comedy music. But if you look at Jack Sparrow, it's incredible. The joke is interwoven into every single piece of it. And the music is interwoven in every single piece of it. Everything is so carefully and delicately crafted. And that like, you know, the, the switches between the like the beat for the verse and then like the hook and all of that and the choice of how they're going to deliver the vocals. Everything is so carefully crafted around the joke. But Again, if you come to someone like Weird Al or someone like the the death metal cover of I Kissed a Girl, really, I often feel like there's not that much below the surface. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily, at least again with like Weird Al, it can be fun on the first listen. Whereas with the death metal cover of I Kissed a Girl, it can be fun on like reading the title of the video. And that's yeah. often about as far as that joke goes for me. I think the better version of the cover joke is really funny mashups. You know, like I think yeah. I think something like Did you see the the MJ Phil Collins, uh, Michael Jackson Phil Collins one? Yes. Around yeah. On Twitter? Yeah, that yes. was so good. Yeah. That was so good. Have you heard Neil Sisierga's TIME? I have not. I keep meaning to listen to more of his stuff and I never get around to it. That is him but. taking the vocals from YMCA and putting them on top of the song Time by Hans Zimmer from the Inception score. And it's it's this incredible piece of, like, comedy and art because you first, you yeah. start out listening and you're like, oh, you know, like, this is kind of funny. There's a juxtaposition there. But then it, like, becomes this big emotional pull. And, like, by the time it gets to the chorus, you're actually, like, you're feeling things, like, like yeah. deep emotions to YMCA and the fact, I think this is something that, like, Neil Sisierga does so well. I have no idea how to pronounce his name, so I'm just going to yeah. butcher it. But uh, People know who you're talking yeah. about. Let's hope it's close enough. Yeah. I, I think something he does so well with his matchups is you start listening, and they're kind of funny, and then they become really good songs. Yeah. And there's this added level of humor where it's, like, it's kind of funny that such a ridiculous matchup is pulling these profound emotions from me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I think like mashups are a really interesting area of this where, again, they, a lot of them are jokes. Like a lot of them are like, here's this song and this song, but like 
in order to even like start to do something like that, you have to find a lot of sort of unexpected similarities between the pieces. They have to be like close enough in tempo. You can time warp it a little bit. And similarly, you can pitch shift if it's not in quite the right key. But like you start to get sort of incompatible really quickly unless you're really good at what you're doing. And so there's, there has to be like a lot of skill in doing that unless it, it's a really simple thing. But like, Unless the, the songs are really similar, yeah. which sometimes they are, and sometimes that's really interesting too. But like, and I think this is the thing: I would not inherently say all mashups are comedy, but I would say no. a lot of mashups are. Especially, there's kind of a a breed of mashup that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Like the like most of them use All Star because All Stars, you know, yeah. that song. But like, or like the format is you know like All Star, but every time they say coming something happens or something like that you know like yeah. like there's th- that that whole format is its own kind of unique brand of surrealist musical comedy it's a very strange phenomenon it's very different from sort of what i think of as comedy music but it is i mean it's sort of more comedy with music yeah but again that's sort of like when i listen to um all star but the pitches are in ascending order yeah a, it's great, but like I'm not really, I don't know, I, I don't feel like I'm experiencing that as a musical experience so much as I am sort of a comedic experience that has music as its basis. But that's not, I mean, that's that's not to say that that's not a way that other people could experience it, right? Maybe to phrase it more as like you're experiencing it as comedy about music, not musical yeah. comedy. That is, yeah, I think roughly fair. And again, with the caveat that, you know, my experience and not necessarily anyone else's. Yeah, I I mean, I think think that's the thing where I think the best mashups are, I I mean, all the best mashups are Neil Ciceriga, but the best mashups are the ones that are kind of like, you know, both musically actually like really impactful on you. And like, like, it doesn't always need to be something like, T-I-M-E that pulls emotions. It can also just be like, yeah. you know, like a surprisingly groovy bop or something that- Really I, fun. Yeah. yeah, something I think I remembered in high school that went around a lot was Psychosocial Baby, which is like a low-key bop, yep. you know? And and I think that there's, there's a lot of interesting room there. Yeah. The other aspect of kind of weird internet music that, that I think falls very clearly into musical comedy in its own weird way is Bill Wirtz, who is just yep. his own genre- <laughs> Sure. <laughs> yeah. I think he's so interesting because I think he's again one where where people would I think people would call him a comedian for, first and foremost and sure. so much of him is a multimedia artist too but his music like like he makes he writes really interesting jingles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no that a lot of the stuff that he does would not hold up if the music wasn't really interesting on its own as well. But one thing that that sort of reminds me of is something that I think is sort of again complicates the boundaries on this stuff because I, I don't think that it is necessarily meant as comedy and I don't think that the music itself is necessarily particularly funny. But have you ever watched a video of a black MIDI song, like the genre? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like those are, like they're really impressive. I also find them really funny, right? <laughs> like, you know, for just in case folks aren't aware, it's like basically a piano roll and it's 
effectively electronic music made by playing a lot of notes on a MIDI piano all at once. Yeah. And often these videos will just have the piano roll streaming down so you can see the notes coming and they're often in like really interesting shapes. But like sometimes you'll just see this thing coming down that's like all of the keys at once in this big block and it just comes down as like chunks onto the bottom of the screen and it's it sounds great and it's really funny. And I don't, again, I don't know that it's made as comedy and I don't know that it's, like, it wouldn't sound funny if I was just listening to it. And so it's sort of the video that's funny, but the video is the music as well. Yeah, I think this is one of the interesting things in comedy music is that I'm kind of thinking about this now, but I feel like comedy music is actually, I was talking on my Discord about how, like, I think a lot of the future of music, as you see with stuff like TikTok and stuff like that, is music becoming increasingly multimedia, you know, more and more mixing with video, interactive stuff, things like that. And musical comedy has been there for a long time, because even like, like, even going back to the Lonely Island, like, like Michael Bolton, like Captain Jack Sparrow is a great song. But you pair yeah. it with the video and it's even better, you know? Like, oh, yeah. So there, there is in musical comedy a lot of this kind of like unity where a lot of the best musical comedy, the video is a big part of it as well. I'd say that about Bill Wirtz as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that, again, comes back to roughly that sort of comedic efficiency thing where comedy thrives when it doesn't have to tell you stuff. Yeah. And it can just sort of have stuff be there. And again, like a lot of that works with music. A lot of that works with video as well. Like if they can just set a scene and have someone in the scene, like I think of Lonely Island's Boombox. I don't know if you've seen that video, but like just sort of a lot of that is conveyed in imagery as well. It's a great song, by the way. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't heard it, if you haven't seen the video, highly recommend but I don't think I have so much of that is again, conveyed through settings. And then they're sort of in, in that one, they're sort of describing the settings, but by sort of putting you there first and then describing it, it lets them focus more on the funny parts than like yeah. setting the scene more concretely. I think that's something where I like love a lot of musical comedy, but I don't really listen to musical comedy albums very much. Sometimes yeah. I'll throw on some Flight of the Concords or maybe some Tim Minchin, but in general, like if I'm listening to The Lonely Island, I'm usually watching their stuff. Yeah, no, the videos add so much. And that's, I think, one of the things I think is interesting, we might want to do a whole episode on like music videos in general, but I often find like myself pretty bored with music videos and as for, for like quote unquote normal songs. Yeah. That's a loaded term. We're <laughs> not going to worry about it. But like when I look up like a rock band's music video, I often just don't care. Like I often wind up feeling like it's fine, but half of it is going to be the band just standing in a room playing their instruments. Yeah. And, You know, it's just, it's not that interesting. And they'll probably just have like a cut in the middle for some diegetic sound to make it harder to rip. Cause, yep, you know, that's music videos. But like for comedy music, it's often really essential. Like Tenacious D made a a movie. Yeah. And they made a TV show because that was the vehicle they wanted for their performances to sort of be able to use imagery as well because it worked really well in complementing their comedy. And even people like Tim Minchin, where a lot of what you see with Tim Minchin is sort of him at a stage doing a performance, or at least a lot of videos I've seen. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if he's doing like conceptual music videos I as don't well. think I've ever seen those from him. I don't know. I think 
comedy often works better with an audience anyway. And so you can hear how he's setting the, the song up. You can hear how the audience is reacting to the song. You can hear him pause to like milk a laugh line. And it it gives it another dimension that you don't necessarily get from non-funny yeah. video music experiences. Again, this this comes down to the question of like what counts as comedy music, right? Like Yeah. For instance, like Childish Gambino's Camp. Is that comedy? Well, I, I I was actually gonna say, I mean Hip hop is such an interesting yeah. space for this because like like even like Run the Jewels, you know, they've got some songs that especially yeah. LPs verses are usually pretty funny or like I mentioned like Kanye like new workout plan or something like that. Yeah, yeah, like Childish Gambino, it's an interesting thing where I feel like in hip hop it's actually a genre space where it's just kind of like accepted that you can be a musician and a comedian. I think that's a that's a very big part of hip hop that I think and I think the genre is enriched because of it. Yeah, I think wordplay and like comedy is it, and lyricism in general is just very highly valued in hip hop spaces and that allows for more room for those sorts of comedic experimentations and you get these artists who are definitely serious artists quote unquote serious, you know, yeah, I'm not going to unpack that, but you get these artists who don't like get relegated to that. Like, Oh, they're just a comedian space, but they're still doing a lot of really funny stuff. Yeah. I I think, I think that's, I, I think that's a real strength of hip hop. I think it's interesting because I think there's, there's a trend where a lot of the time I find a lot of white rappers are comedy rappers, you know, like even like to an extent, like Macklemore has a lot of comedy yeah. songs and like Lil Dicky or, you know, there's there's a lot of this sure. kind of like genre of white rapper comedian. But also that is not at all to say white rappers are the only rappers that are funny because rap has always been really funny. And like like ever yeah. since the beginning, like that's part of kind of the origins of rap. Yeah, it kind of grew out of rap battles, which is, you know, it, the history is a lot more complicated than that. I, w- I was actually going to say even before rap battles and stuff like that, it was like kind of like radio DJs and like disco DJs. And that's where the whole DJ thing came from, right? It was like people who would do these little things to kind of like entertain and get people laughing and little bits of wordplay in between, you know, switching out records at the disco. Like that's, that's a lot of the origin there. And yeah, then, then, I mean, rap battles are pure comedy. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking back to like the dozens where the entire thing is just trading insults and trying to humiliate someone in front of a crowd. And sort of using comedy as a weapon there is really effective. And so that's, again, been in hip-hop culture since the beginning in both of those aspects. It's interesting where you say using comedy as a weapon there because I think that's also something that other genres have done this, but hip-hop also, like, like really uses comedy to call truth to power a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, like, Public Enemy had a lot of really funny lines that were yeah. very political. Even, like... Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me. Straight up racist. Like I think, I think that's pretty funny. You know, like it's a <laughs> l- like Chuck D's got some good punchlines, and that's something where yeah, hip hop just like is a genre that comedy is so you know tightly knit to its core in a way where I feel like there's a lot of aspects that were like like a lot of early kind of like rock artists had some of that, but it kind of got abandoned as rock became a little too yeah. self-serious because like yeah dylan's got a lot of songs that are 
kind of just him taking the piss. The Beatles even, like, the Beatles, they don't have quite as many songs that are, like, overtly comedic, but, like, in their public appearances and, like, on stage, they were always kind of, like, riffing and doing bits, and they were, I mean, they've released comedy movies, right? Like, they're, they were very closely tied to comedy in a lot of places, but I think as rock kind of got more self-serious, a lot of the comedic acts got pushed out a little. Yeah, I think. And and this is a thing that, I don't know if this is a can of worms I want to open, but it's a can of worms I'm going to open, is this is a thing that happens in a lot of art forms and has a fairly long history. Like, we talk about Mozart. Right? Yeah, yeah. We talk about the classically Lichtmäckig Marsch, but, yep. like... There's also just the Mozart pieces, I believe, translates to a musical joke where he's just intentionally writing bad music. Yeah. And using like weird. And this like came up in research for a video that I'm working on right now. But like it just using weird scales to sort of simulate a violinist being out of tune. And then it's like one of the earliest sort of canonic examples of polytonality where sort of at the end they all sort of break off into different keys and the joke is like, haha, they're not listening. Yeah. It's like proto Captain Beefheart. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know how else to describe it besides classical music posting, but it's just, that was very much a part of Mozart. And it very much got swept under the rug for a really long time because Mozart had to be this serious figure. He was the king of classical music for a long time, uh, for a long time between, you know, Haydn and. Beethoven. Was it Haydn or Handel? I always it's Haydn. Okay. I always get those two confused. I refuse to believe that they're different people, but it was Haydn. I'm pretty confident. I mean, that's something that in my Run the Jewels video, I actually found a great LP interview where he, he talks about that dichotomy and he says, like, yeah. a, a lot of people kind of act like, you know, you can't be serious if you're joking around, but he says kind of like Part of the reason why they joke around is that it makes the serious stuff that much more serious, you know? And and you can joke around, you can be lighthearted and talk about serious issues because, like, otherwise, if all you're talking about is heavy, serious stuff, you're just going to be morose, you know? Or or it's just going to be stiff, like a lot of kind of our, like, the classical music kind of, like, elitist dialogue doesn't, doesn't really allow for room for... The reality is, like... Mozart was a teenager, you know, he was a teenage yeah. boy. Like <laughs> yeah. most, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he also did. Like, I'm sure there's all kinds of Mozart post stuff that never got published, you know? Yeah. I would not be surprised or and stuff that maybe did get published, but got lost by lost. I maybe kind of mean buried. I wouldn't be surprised again. Like a lot of this stuff was not fully lost. We still have records of it and it's if people know about it today, but it's really, when we talk about Mozart, the great composer, we're not talking about Lichmick im Arsch. Yeah. And I don't, I'll be honest, I'm not necessarily going to defend it as a great piece of music. I haven't listened to it recently, but- I mostly know it from the ICP sample, so. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Those sorts of things where- and and this happens like more broadly than comedy too, just sort of with with people who wind up getting canonized. We sort of sweep a lot of the less important quote unquote works under the rug in general. 
I think something like a lot of the discourse around Dylan reminds me of this Mozart stuff where like there's I there's definitely things where you'll pull up a Dylan song and you know something like something like like Bob Dylan's 115th Dream or something like that and I'm yeah. I'm very very guilty of this as well but people will kind of like read into every line and people will take Dylan stuff really seriously where the reality is and a lot of Dylan stuff is very serious a lot of Dylan stuff is yeah. also just Dylan taking the piss like he he really like has this very kind of like dry surreal sense of humor that makes yeah. it into a lot of his songs and and they're kind of like they're not talked about or celebrated in the same way as a you know blowing in the wind or something like that even though they're just as intrinsic to who he is I mean that's something he got yeah. from Woody Guthrie and Woody Guthrie. I mean, the folk music tradition is full of comedy. Yeah. I mean, I, I would actually slightly like to complicate the dichotomy there if I can just be an academic for a second. Um, but the, so you're talking about like, he has this serious stuff that we can dig into and read every line. And then he has this stuff where he's taking the piss. Yeah. But, and, and I can't speak to Dylan specifically, but there are certainly artists who will take the piss about serious stuff. Oh, totally, totally. Like Nirvana did this a lot. Oh, yeah. And so... I mean, I think I think an example of that for Dylan is Tombstone Blues is a song where it is very kind of like, like surreal and comedic, but it also is probably throwing shade at Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> yeah, and so, again, when you get into serious stuff, it can be hard to joke about, and it can be one of those things where, you know, if you do it poorly you're causing harm and that's something to be really careful about. And I don't want to like, you know, come off, come across like I'm saying like, Oh, you can joke about anything. There are no rules. Like be a considerate human being when you're, you know, crafting comedy music, just like you would when you're doing literally anything else in your life, hopefully. But like, there's a lot of space in gallows humor in jokes yeah. about things that you are not supposed to joke about things that are serious and harmful. And it's a way to sort of laugh in the face of pain as resistance. And so again, when we talk coming back to like hip hop, there's a lot of that. And there's also, again, like I don't want to paint the picture that like all hip hop comedy is yeah. like intended as political resistance. Some of it's just intended to be fun. Yeah. But there is certainly stuff like you mentioned, run the jewels. Like a lot of those verses are really funny but they're also often making really serious points at the same time. Like it's not one or the other. Yeah. And sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're serious. Sometimes they're funny about serious stuff. I think, I think another, another genre that used to do this very well, actually, especially when you say gallows humor, country music, a lot of country music oh, yeah. had very, very funny, Literal gallows humor. very dark stuff. Yeah. I mean, like there's, I forget the name of the song, but at Folsom prison, Johnny Cash sings a Shel Silverstein poem. That's kind of this like, comedic piece about counting down the hours before you're going to be hung like literal gallows humor. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that's something where there's, there's a lot of, I, I think something that's interesting is, and, and I even fall into this trap, like fell into that trap there. We, we fall into these discussions that kind of, I think, I think a lot of it is a linguistic problem where, you know, the word serious people take to mean not funny, yeah. but people also take it to mean important, you know? And and things yeah. can be things can be very funny and very important. And a lot of the time the best comedy is the stuff that is really important and really relevant. And 
really kind of serious in one way of the word, but irreverent, you know? Yeah, and I think this might be maybe a good time to transition to a discussion of sort of why yeah. this comedy music doesn't tend to get this sort of credit, that it very clearly often does... Uh, there's bad comedy music, Yeah, right? there, like I mean, there's bad all music. That's not controversial, yeah. <laughs> but there's bad, yeah, there's bad everything. But, like, I think that, again, like we, we talked about in our Music List episode, this sort of tendency to, you know, if, if I ask you to name, like, top five best hip-hop groups of the 2000s, I'm, I wouldn't seriously argue that Lonely Island belongs on that list. Yeah. But, like, it probably wouldn't even occur to you to include them. Yeah. I, and again, like, I, I, just to be clear, I probably wouldn't include them either if I was putting together my list. Like, that's not an argument that they belong there, but, you know, they, they do really Even if stuff. the conversation was just like, you know, like, who writes yeah. some of the best hooks in pop? Like, I yeah. think you could actually yeah. make an, ar- an argument that the Lonely Island do. Like, they their hooks are incredible. Yeah. Their hooks are great, yeah. I I really don't know kind of where it comes from. It's something that's so, so pervasive. And I think it's something where, like, it's pervasive in a lot of art because even going back to, like, Shakespeare, like, a lot, of the, a lot of the perceptions and discussions of Shakespeare are that he is, you know, kind of, like, hoity-toity and stuff like that. But, like, Shakespeare's Shakespeare's plays are body as hell. They're raunchy. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that's something that... I don't know. I don't know if I had to venture a guess. I, I think maybe it would go back to kind of like Victorian sensibilities when this changed. But for a lot of history, yeah. like comedy, a lot of the great artists, Chaucer. I mean, like Chaucer, who like like Canterbury Tales is considered like one of the first great pieces of English literature. One of the tales is literally an extended fart joke, and yeah. and it's great. <laughs> I think there's there's definitely something where. I think there was there was an era, and I think it probably comes back to the Victorian era, but I'm not a sociologist. Yeah, I, I, I would just, from a musical perspective at least, I would attach it to the Romantic era, which I believe is the, let me just Google the Victorian era to double check. I mean, Victoria lived for a long time, so the Victorian era was a long period. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, okay. The Victorian era was roughly the Romantic yeah. period. So, yes. Just wanted to double-check that before saying <laughs> things. But, yeah, like early or mid to early 1800s to 1901. So, yeah, roughly mid to late Romantic musical period. Wise. Yeah, I, I think there's it, – it's, it's tied with a sort of cultural conservatism that kind of yeah. came in there. Yeah. And this, I think, again, this was – a a big thing that happened around that point and slightly before specifically Victorian, but like early romantic, there was this big sort of almost democratization of access to fancy people music. And so like prior to like the French revolution and whatnot, mostly fancy people music happened in fancy people houses, which are, you know, castles, mansions, whatever. And you would have like private showings and, over the course of the 19th century, uh, yeah, the 19th century, concert halls got a lot bigger and there was a greater push for democratization as a movement that led to more sort of incorporation of culture ac- across class boundaries. And so there 
became this bigger need. And this is the thing I talked about a lot in my like art music episode uh, in my of my video, uh, my video about art music. And also, I think I talked about it in my video about the canon. I talked about this a lot. But basically, you saw this growing need to establish yourself as having taste, mm. this mm-hmm. growing need to sort of demonstrate that you understood the fancy people music. Whereas for the most part, and I keep calling it fancy people music, mostly because that's funny yeah. to me. But like for the most part, that sort of music was largely, again, in relatively small settings and they were written specifically to the tastes of whoever the patron was. And so it was mostly, you know, you as the patron got to decide what taste was. And other people came in and were like, yeah, you did a good job because they want you to like them. But like once you have like these larger venues and these larger concert halls that are more open to the public and more like, again, democratized, you suddenly have to be able to sort out uh, sort of access to that and appreciation of that becomes a social thing, a social status thing. And so it becomes more important to be able to sort out the good taste from the bad taste. And so you get these critics coming in and this is around the time of like the romantic ideals of sort of, you know, beauty and serious, you know, romantic art. It's that whole thing. But and so those sort of collide, and you see this this effectively this development, this codification of a, effectively the canon. That's roughly that across that century was when that formed. And so you sort of need this to be the good art. And if you look at, like, extended fart jokes, they're great. But they're also, you know, very funny to the quote-unquote unwashed masses, yeah. right? These are, like accessible humor that everyone's like everyone's invited to participate in everyone knows what farts are everyone finds farts funny that's just that's just science but like and so you know a thing being a fart joke doesn't make it a good way to tell that like you liking it gives you the good taste with capital g and capital t I, i think it's interesting because i i think you're completely right there because I think that the music that the the music that has comedy outside of hip hop, the music that has comedy in it that does kind of get, you know, accepted by kind of elitist yeah. circles is not music with broad comedy. It's kind of like 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 someone like Zappa is someone that is like deeply ironic and yeah. surreal or even something like I know I know a lot of a lot of kind of elitist music circles right now are very fond of hyperpop which I I think there's lots yeah. of cool stuff going on in hyperpop hyperpop is um, great but, but but I also think there's a lot of like deeply ironic comedy going on in hyperpop yeah deeply ironic comedy but also I think to use Frank Zappa as an example sort of the accessibility of the comedy is offset by the complete inaccessibility yes, of the music, yes. right? Like you have to put a lot of work into enjoying a Frank Zappa record. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with a Frank Zappa record, yeah. right? Like it's, but it is not easy to it's listen It's a lot harder to, to listen it, to it than a very, of the Concord song, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a very challenging, very challenging music and that lets it get away with being maybe a little bit more like loose and funny with its lyrics because like you still, you're not just going to get into it because haha it's a fart. And, and, and I think that there's kind of this lineage of music like that, that comes from Zappa where like someone like Primus yeah. is very much the same 
or a yeah. lot of a, a lot of kind of what like black meaty the band not the genre some yeah. some of their latest album has has some of that kind of like zappa sensibilities of like weird funny stuff with music that is just intensely intensely virtuosic yeah and this comes back to a thing that i like wanted to mention i think sort of indirectly inspired this entire episode was like i said and i think in the music list episode i was reading a master's thesis by a guy called scott greenberg about comedy music and one of the things that he was saying in there that really resonated with me was he was talking about the self-conscious nature of taste where again and we, we went over this a bit in the music list episode but just as a refresher for anyone who didn't listen to that sort of the idea is that when i tell you what i like not necessarily when I like something, but when I tell you what I like, that comes not with just the information itself, but with implications about who I am. I am giving you some insight into who I am as a person by telling you that I like this. And so sort of the the tendency to maybe not mention that you like that Mozart song that's about, you know. Yeah. You know the Mozart song. <laughs> um but not mention you like that is a way of maybe not giving people the wrong impression about who you are and what you're into in a way that, you know, maybe you are, no judgment, but you may not necessarily feel comfortable disclosing that. And even sort of with comedy in general, com comedic tastes are, I think, so personal and so based on personal experience and lived experience and what, what you find funny is so tied to sort of a very intimate sense of who yeah. you are that it becomes almost dangerous for me to tell you that I like any particular work of comedy. And so, you know, if, if we're talking about favorite comedians, we'll, like that will come up. But like, if we're talking about favorite artists, it's an easy thing to just sort of, you know, sweep under the rug and not mention because I don't necessarily want to get into why I like this particular song, you know, because that's there's maybe you might be like, whoa, that's a weird thing to find funny. And then that's going to throw us off in ways that I might not want it. So there's this whole social aspect to, you know, not necessarily considering comedic artists to be among the all-time greats because the all-time greats are supposed to be people we all agree on, right? Like, And I think that's something that plays into that too, specifically within music is like, since kind of like, I was going to say since the 50s, but even earlier than that, but really like a lot since the 50s, yeah. kind of like so much of music is defined in like being cool and the aesthetic yeah. of coolness changes over time. But one of the biggest aspects of coolness has always been kind of like detachment, you know? Music was never cool before the 50s, by the way. That's Noah's yeah. argument. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you're valued, projecting your value out to the world, telling people, you don't really want to be like, no, I I want to... Because at, at its heart, even if comedy is very ironic, there's something very sincere about laughing out loud. You know, it's yeah. a very vulnerable... Yeah, it's a vulnerable yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, it's this raw display of emotion. And you want to... When you talk about serious stuff, serious stuff is kind of like cool and detached and it pulls from higher emotions and deeper thought and not just kind of like the base vulnerability of thinking it's funny that somebody said a word that was silly. Yeah. And I think that also speaks to sort of, I guess, the fear of being laughed at, right? Oh, I think yeah. Just, again, we, we come back to like laughter as a weapon and laughter as a sort of 
like vulnerability, both you are becoming vulnerable by laughing at something, but, you know, and I mean, not to use a fairly straightforward example, if we think back to like really any 80s comedy, like it ends with the villain being laughed at by all the people because they were exposed as silly. Yeah. And then they're like, no, I'm not silly. You can't laugh at me. I'm the dean of this institution yeah. or whatever. And so that, and that, that's, a, is a really powerful thing. And it's a really powerful fear that like laughter can signal rejection as well as it can signal inclusion. If you're not laughing at the thing, then maybe they're laughing at you. And there's something very primally embarrassing about laughing at something that nobody else laughs at. Yes. Like yeah, there's yes. there's something there's something that ev- everyone kind of like is is aware of that cringe feeling yeah. when y- you just think something's hilarious and everyone's just kind of staring their blank faced. Yeah, and that also comes back to sort of how visible laughter is as as an action, right? Like if I really enjoy a piece of music, like like a really cool musical gesture, maybe I make like a face. Yeah. Maybe I like nod. Or you make stank like, face. But it might just be fully internal. It's like, ooh. Yeah, but like that that's not like that much and but like if something happens and I just burst out laughing and I'm in a room with 10 other people and the rest of them just turn and look is like what are you doing? Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah, there's a lot of social pressure around around what you should find funny, what you shouldn't find funny, all of that stuff. Yeah. Which again comes back to the questions of like what you're allowed to joke about too. Yes. Like, is is this a thing that like we're supposed to find funny? Well, and I think that's that's the fear of you laughing at something that nobody yeah. else laughs. The fear is, oh no, I've I've done a social transgression, you know? Yeah. But, and then you, you have to explain yourself. You have to be like, okay, this is why this was funny to yeah. me. And that then you have to be explaining comedy, and that's never fun. Yeah. Well, ex- I I mean, I think that that's also yeah. Just the fact of explaining comedy is never fun. I think that also might contribute to comedy's kind of weird place in music because it is it is very difficult to have kind of like close readings like you or I do of yeah. a comedic song because the reality yeah. is like like I I tried to write a script on Flight of the Concords once because I love Flight of the yeah. Concords and in writing it i was like this just kills it this just makes it seem like yeah. l- like the most dry boring thing and that also it's it's harder for something to be recognized in the critical canon if yeah. there's not you know that same kind of critical work poking into it and and exploring it i do wonder i'm not familiar with anything but i i do wonder if there's like academic or much sort of academic comedic theory out there like I have to imagine there would be in literary theory. I'm sure there, yeah. But just like, I, I'm just, I'm wondering if anyone's ever written like a PhD dissertation on like stand-up comedy. Yeah, I don't know. Like that would be, if if that's true, I would love to see it. I just, I haven't seen any of that. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Again, I like, there's like a lot of academic, fields that are not my field that I have not seen everything in. There's a lot of stuff in my field that I haven't seen anything in yet. I don't read every academic paper ever written. 12-tone uh, exposed. I don't I don't have time. Mask off. I read like 75% of them at most. <laughs> I think that's true. Like I I definitely I'm sure there's got to be some stuff, but I don't know if yeah. there really is is on the same level. It's 
I mean, I mean, I think a lot of the time- it's such an ephemeral thing. Yeah, yeah. Anything that I've seen of people talking about comedians is usually like other comedians praising their influence. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of, and you know, it's not that hard to find people sort of explaining basic structure yeah. of like default yeah. easy jokes, right? Like that's, but like there's, there's so much craft that goes into it and I, I don't know. I don't know if like like hermeneutic comedy theory is a thing. I think you should but, found the field. Yeah, the problem is I don't know anything about <laughs> it. So that's the one downside to me starting yeah. this. The other downside is it probably already exists, so I will look <laughs> foolish. But I don't know. Did you have anything else that you wanted to kind of get out on the comedy music topic? The one thing that I wanted to, because I, I mentioned earlier that I was, or some of my thoughts at least were influenced by the uh, master's thesis guy. And I, I don't know that I actually said his name and I want to give credit where it's due. So that uh, was Scott Greenberg. Scott Greenberg. Just want to throw that out there. Really interesting thesis, breaks down. Come on um, the podcast, Scott Greenberg. Comedy I, music through the lens of uh, like, it was They Might Be Giants, Tenacious D and Childish Gambino. Yeah. And it's it's a really interesting read. And yeah, just wanted to give credit where it's due because- I definitely got a lot of thoughts out of that. We've extended invitations to Weird Al and Bob Dylan. I'll extend that invitation to <laughs> Scott Greenberg too. Sir. But yeah, just wanted to credit where it's due. That's really interesting. I mean, they might be giants yeah. are are such a such a weird case where like they're just one of those bands where it feels like and I think part of this is yeah. because a lot of what they do has this comedic tilt. It feels like nobody really knows how to properly categorize them. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's a lot of... And again, I think that... Crap, am I going to open up a new tangent? Yes, I am. One of the strengths of comedy music is that it's already transgressive. It's already sort of unusual, and it's breaking boundaries, and that allows for more experimentation because the expectations that this will be some serious great work of art just aren't there because yeah. you've already been like, we're doing a goof em up. And then from there you can sort of do all these influence. Like the Aquabats is a great example. Oh of this. yeah. I think, Aquabats. Like are the great. Aquabats are funny and they, they play around a lot with sort of different genres and different instruments. And like, again, like same with they might be giants and bare naked ladies. There's all of these like spaces you can play in once you've already disqualified yourself from being read as serious. And Zappa, too. Zappa's yeah. a great example of this as well. Even to an extent, I think the Talking Heads brush up on that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, the Talking Heads are just, like, real weird. And once they're weird, you can just, like, get away with a lot more. Yeah. And th that's not to say that there aren't bands that push the envelope without being funny. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, although, like, you know, what I think of, like, a lot of prog bands are funny in ways that, like, I think of, you know, the the Jess, uh, Jethro Tull song, Hunting Girl? Yeah, yeah. It's off Songs from the Woods? Yeah. It's such a good song. And it's like, I don't know that it's, like, directly funny, but the lyrics are just, like, the lyrics are weird. There's a lot of, like, Monty Python sensibility to the first wave of British yeah. prog. Like, like, even in, like... Oh, absolutely. Like, Genesis or something like that. Like, there's definitely some things that... Yeah. Again, similar to Jethro Tull, like I, I would, I don't know if I would specifically call them funny, but they're yeah. they're not unfunny. <laughs> yeah, it, it sort of comes back to what we were talking about with like Run the Jewels or whatever. Not in necessarily quite the same way, 
but like that same sort of like, this is definitely not a comedy band, but they're also not afraid to use comedy. Yeah. And you ways afraid to use sort of wordplay and like, and again, I, I, I can't go an entire episode repeatedly discussing wordplay and not at least throw the name Jackson Brown out there. <laughs> It's in my contract. You can't go an entire episode and not at least throw the name Jackson Brown out there. (laughs) I probably have. Like, if someone wants to go listen to all the Ghost Notes episodes and find one where I don't mention Jackson Brown, it probably exists. It's probably up there with one where I don't mention Bob Dylan, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's life. But yeah, no, I think um, a lot of these bands and a lot of these artists are doing, like, clever... I think, yeah, that, that's a, a distinction that sort of is worth drawing and sort of isn't, but definitely does get drawn, is sort of the distinction between funny and clever. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of things where you listen, it's like, ooh, that's that's a really interesting way of putting that. Ooh, that's a really good turn of phrase. That's some nice wordplay. But you're not laughing out loud, and so it becomes a different experience, even if it's the same skill set. I think that's kind of what separates, like, l- like that's kind of a difference between, like, Run the Jewels or Kendrick Lamar. Where Kendrick Lamar, there's yeah. definitely funny things, but most of his stuff, I'm like, oh, that's really clever wordplay. Yeah. And then Run the Jewels, it's like, oh, that's really re- clever wordplay. That makes me laugh. Yeah. Yeah, which again, you know, the, that is not to ascribe higher value to either of those. But they are, I think, a, an important distinction, but also kind of not an important distinction. And that's the beauty of art criticism and analysis is that we are making everything up. None of it matters. It's, it's none of this matters. The points are made up. The rules are made up and the points don't matter. I think again, just like kind of the key takeaways here are if you have comedy bands or comedy acts that you really love, like don't be afraid to kind of like tout them and celebrate them. Like, like, Corey does Jackson Brown or I do Bob Dylan, you know, <laughs> like, 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 and, yeah. and if you are a musician, you know, maybe, maybe if you've got, if you've got a sense of humor, maybe try putting it into some of your songs, you know? One thing I would say is I do think like people do get celebrated, but it's sort of like celebrated with an asterisk, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned Bo Burnham. People are like, people lost their minds about it inside. Yeah. Yeah. The internet went nuts. But it also sort of at the end of the day has this asterisk. It's like, oh, it's a work of comedy with music. It's not really yeah. music in a way that like, you know. So yeah, so celebrate them, but celebrate them without that asterisk. Or with it. I don't know. Do whatever you want. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. I'm I'm pretty sure that I'm going to call inside the album of the year when this year's out. Yeah. So thank you all so much for listening. You know where to find us. Bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>